Hi, I'm Mark Priestley. After a life spent in the elite environment of the Formula One pit lane learning how to win, this podcast aims to bring that elusive, high-performance culture into your daily lives. In this week's episode, in a week when the Williams Formula One team have literally stripped the paint off their own F1 car to save unwanted weight, I'm asking, what is it in your life that you're carrying around excess baggage, potentially slowing you down from reaching that high-performance life you want? Welcome to Pit Lane Life about how Formula One teams are so successful. Tiny things. You only find those tiny things when you look for them. Of course, there's only one winner in every Grand Prix, so for everybody else, you haven't won. So it could be deemed that's, that's a failure. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast. As ever, I appreciate every single one of you for taking time out of your day, time that I know is precious, to spend time with me listening to the stories that I've got to share here. Stories from my time in Formula One in the Pit Lane with McLaren, stories from my life today, and also stories that relate to modern day Formula One, stuff that's happening right now in the world of F1. Because in amongst all of those things, I now firmly believe there are really valuable lessons that every single one of us, Formula One fans or otherwise, can benefit from. And that's the very point of the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast. It's why I started it. It's why I continue it. I love doing it. And I'm really grateful to all of you who keep coming back and listening and telling me that you're enjoying it, wanting more. So thank you again to all of you. This week, I want to start, as I said in the introduction there, by talking about a story that many of you will be aware of, having just seen the Grand Prix from Imola uh, this weekend. The story that the Williams Formula One team, and they're not the only ones, but they are the latest and perhaps the most extreme, who turned up to that Grand Prix with a car that had some major changes to it. Typically, when we get back into the European season, teams start bringing upgrades. They start bringing additions to their car, things that they can add to their car that might make it faster, that might improve the handling or just improve their results. That's, of course, the point of bringing developments, bringing additional components and upgrade kits to the car. What Williams did, though, for this particular weekend was not bring something new, was not bring some additional new components they could bolt on in the hope of going more quickly. They took something away. They stripped something off their car that they decided wasn't necessarily required. Something that they felt was holding them back and by removing it could make them go more quickly. Now I'm sure many of you already know what that is and if you didn't before the introduction will have given the game away but they've taken the paint off their car. They have stripped much of the paint, the blue paint, the iconic blue that Williams, the Formula One team with so much history in this sport are known for. They've stripped much of it away revealing just the bare carbon of their F1 car. Why have they done it? They've done it to save weight. It may only be a few grams, it may not be a huge amount of weight, but in an era of this sport where many teams, and Williams perhaps are suffering more than some, many teams are struggling to get down to the new minimum weight limit for these cars. The 2022 cars have bigger, heavier wheels and tyres on them. They've got improved safety systems and structural integrity mandated into the design of these cars which has made them significantly heavier and so now the teams are struggling to get that car back down to the minimum weight limit. Of course a lighter car is typically a faster car so everybody wants to take things off their car and make it as light as possible but there's only so much that you can do within the regulations. Williams over the first few races and through their design process, as every team will have done, of course, will have tried to create a Formula One car that, of course, has the structural integrity, has the safety elements, has all of the functional capacity that a Formula One car needs to have whilst being as light as possible. Making components out of materials that are strong yet light. They've done all of those things and it'll be constantly reviewed. All teams are always looking to continuously improve their car, to shave more and more weight off by sometimes just the tiniest amounts, because all of those things matter. This idea of marginal gains in Formula One is one that the sport is, is kind of famed for. 
tiny improvements, but lots of them in lots of different areas add up to something far more significant. What Williams have done is they've looked at the current regulations, the restrictions that they have internally, but also externally from these new 2022 regulations. They have presumably decided that within the constraints they're currently facing, their car is as light as it can be while still delivering the functionality that it needs, as well as delivering the safety requirements that every Formula One car has to adhere to. They can't go any further in the short term, at least, in saving significant amounts of weight. So what they've done next is they have looked at their car and they've said, OK, what is our core function? What is it that our Formula One car has to do at its very heart? What's its most basic function to do? And of course, as a Formula One team, what they're trying to do is design and manufacture an F1 car that will go as quickly as they can, as quickly as possible. That's the basic function, the mission statement, if you like, when it comes to designing a Formula One car. Of course, it needs to tick the boxes, the regulatory boxes around safety and everything else and dimensions and all those things. But ultimately, they want it to be fast, as fast as they can make it. So they've looked at their car and they've said, OK, is there anything on our car that is on there that is not contributing to a car going more quickly? Now, most Formula One teams would be able to ask that question and say, no, of course not. We already operate on a basis where nothing goes onto that car if it doesn't serve the purpose of making it faster, making it more drivable, making it a better race car, making it a better Formula One car. So there's nothing excess, there's nothing on there spare that they could do without. They simply don't bolt anything to the car that's not required. So then Williams have gone back and looked even deeper, almost on this forensic level of attention to detail. If we look even further into the problem, go back to that question. What's the basic functionality, the core mission statement for our Formula One car? It's got to be as quick as possible. Remember I said earlier, a lighter Formula One car is typically a faster Formula One car. What can we take off this car? Well, there's nothing mechanical, there's nothing substantial. And then they've gone even deeper than that and they've looked at the paint. And they've said, OK, what about the paint? Does the paint offer any functionality in terms of making the car more quick, more fast? Does it make it go around the lap quicker? The answer to that is no, it doesn't. It doesn't serve any purpose in terms of making it a faster Formula One car. Now, I appreciate it also has other purposes. It has this purpose of giving the car identity. The corporate identity of the Williams Formula One team is that they are blue. Their team has always been blue. That's their team colours. The fans wear blue merchandise in the stands. They buy blue shirts. They buy blue hats. The drivers are wearing blue overalls. The garage walls are often just blue. Blue is the colour of Williams. The sponsors will have signed up to deals with Williams and designed their sponsorship programs around the fact that the Williams car is blue. Does their logo work on a blue background? Does it pop out? Does it stand out? Are they getting the visibility that they need? So there is some value to the car's livery. It's not just there to make it look fancy. But of course, that's the main thing it's doing. It is all about visuals. It's all about the way the car looks. It's aesthetics. Now, from an engineering perspective, that paint does nothing. There is no aerodynamic gain to having paint. And yet that paint costs weight. So when we start to look forensically, really incredibly deep, because the Williams team have been suffering in this area, they've got a car that's not fast. They've got a car that's overweight. And so they have to look deeper and deeper when you're struggling a little bit like we talked about last week with Mercedes struggles. When a team's struggling, when any of us are struggling, we tend to look deeper and deeper. We're forced to go deeper and deeper into the problem. When things are going really well for us as individuals or as a Formula One team, we don't analyse ourselves to quite the same level that we do when we're having problems, when we're struggling, when we are suffering when we're struggling to hit our targets or meet our mission statement. And that is the situation that Williams are in right now. And so they've probably looked deeper than they otherwise would have done if things had been going well. And during that process of deep analysis, 
they have uncovered an area of their car that they don't require, that's not serving the purpose of making them go more quickly. The paint. And so by removing it and saving some of that excess weight, the car immediately is lighter and a lighter car is a faster car. The point here, the reason I'm bringing all of this up, is that I firmly believe the same applies to us. If we look at our own lives, if we're having struggles or troubles, same thing applies. We tend to look deeper into those problems. We should look deeper into those problems because searching for solutions requires extra attention to detail when you're struggling. The answers don't come necessarily as easily when you're fighting an uphill battle. But if we do look deeper, if we ask ourselves those same questions that the Williams Formula One team asked itself about their car, well, I wonder what our answers would be. What is our mission statement? What's our purpose? What do we exist for? What are we trying to achieve in our life? If we have a set of values that we're trying to work towards, are we currently operating in alignment with those values? Are we doing things in our life that perhaps hamper our progress towards that mission statement, towards those goals or targets we might have set ourselves? Are we carrying around excess baggage? Are we doing things that might aid us in an aesthetic perspective, that might make us look good in our eyes or in the eyes of somebody else? Are we trying to achieve something with our life that might be trying to satisfy some kind of external motivation because we think that's what somebody else wants to see? A little bit like applying the excess paint to a Formula One car to change the way it looks, to make it look good to the outside world. Because the team, the people inside that Williams team, they don't care what it looks like. They care if it's fast or not. They care if it gets results. But they're painting that car to satisfy the need of fans, of sponsors, people on television, to satisfy people outside of that team looking on. They want the car to stand out and to look good. They want it to look attractive. Whilst I said before, there is some value in that when it comes to sponsors and corporate identity and all those things. I perfectly agree that there is some value to that. It's not the thing that's going to get Williams closer to the results that they want. And in stripping some of the paint off their car, they have left flashes of blue, of course. They've left an element of that corporate identity. People will still associate with that blue that's left on the car. But in stripping it off, they have ditched the excess baggage that they were carrying around. They have repurposed or refocused on their internal, their intrinsic goals, the goals that they have as a Formula One team, not trying to satisfy people outside the walls of their facility, of their organisation. And if we do the same as that, if we start to question ourselves about what it is we're carrying around with us emotionally or physically, financially, are we striving for some kind of target that is not aligned to wherever it is we want to try and get to? Is it serving a purpose in getting us closer to this high performance life we want to lead? Is it serving a purpose in getting us closer to our targets as a company or as a business, our goals at work or our goals in life? Do the things that we do every day or the things that we say to other people, our behaviours, do those things all serve to get us closer to our end goals or targets? And if they don't, do we need them? Are we striving for things that actually we don't really need? I often refer back to this idea of striving for the Lamborghini in our lives as a metaphor. I'm sure not all of us are striving for Lamborghinis. But I have this issue with social media influences, particularly in the car world, which is obviously where I exist. These guys are all driving around in Lamborghinis. They are flouting their Lamborghinis. And because they are so young, because they're so influential, I firmly believe there is a generation of kids growing up aspiring to own a Lamborghini. 
not aspiring to be a great person to achieve amazing things in life or in business, but to get the Lamborghini. It's the wrong aspiration. It's satisfying somebody else's desire, isn't it? It's satisfying some kind of extrinsic desire rather than satisfying your intrinsic motivations to get to something that's meaningful for you. If your targets in life, if your values are all aligned towards your targets, then everything you do can line up with those and head you in the right direction. Buying a Lamborghini in the most part and for most people is to satisfy the people looking on at you driving the Lamborghini. I'm sure it's a wonderful feeling sat behind the wheel, but most people I truly believe will aspire to owning the Lamborghini because to other people, they think it'll look great. It's an aesthetic. It's a visual that they're trying to project out to the rest of the world because they might suggest or think that it suggests that they are successful, that they're happy, whatever it might be. Nonsense values. It's a little bit like the paint on a Formula One car, isn't it? That paint is only there to satisfy people outside of the team. It's to satisfy the people looking on at this Formula One car. It doesn't aid the guy sat behind the wheel in any way. It doesn't enable him to drive more quickly. It doesn't aid the guys in the garage who are desperately trying to find engineering solutions to make that car go as quickly as possible. It doesn't help the team's mission. It doesn't help their goals. It doesn't help them get closer to the results they want. And I bet there are people listening to this podcast who, if we're honest, and we've all got them, we've all got them. We do things, we say things, we behave in certain ways for that same reason, to satisfy other people looking on, to make us look good, to make us appear happier than we might actually be. It's like editing an Instagram post, isn't it? To satisfy the people that will see it, to portray a life that might be better than the one you're actually living. Isn't that the same kind of thing? where we're doing something, we're using our energy, we're using focus, time, resource to create something, a picture that other people will see of us. Does it actually get us closer to our goals? In the most part, I would say probably not. In the most part, I think there are a lot of people who do things and spend time on things that don't actually get them anywhere closer to their end goal but are doing it just to satisfy somebody looking on, some external motivation that might be there because of social media pressures, because of pressures from their friends or peers. Like the paint, are we carrying around excess baggage that just slows us down, that weighs us down, that makes us heavier than we need to be? Heavier emotionally, mentally. Is our mind weighed down with thoughts that don't really need to be there? And can we streamline that process? Williams looked so deep into their problem, they started to look for saving grams rather than kilograms. They started to look for shaving tiny, tiny elements of weight, of mass off their car that might all contribute when added together to give them some kind of significant advantage over where they were. And that very same process can be applied to our lives. It can be applied to companies and businesses. Do we have excess baggage and weight in our organization? Almost all organizations do, bar startups. Startups are incredibly efficient organizations because there's very few people. There are people working incredibly hard to get the company off the ground. The founder of a business will give anything to make that work. Yes, they work long hours, but they don't carry around excess baggage. There's not much capacity left with a startup company founder to worry about things that aren't directly related to getting towards the end goal of that business, to growing the business, getting it off the ground. There's no excess baggage. But as a company gets bigger, as that investment starts to roll in, more and more people start joining the payroll, inevitably things begin to change. And the biggest companies in the world, which are often the most successful on paper, that have the biggest numbers rolling in, are also some of the most inefficient. 
And I often go into these organizations thinking, goodness, just look at how profitable you are as an organization. But look at how profitable you could be if this was much more streamlined. Now, for a big company, streamlining could mean losing people. It could be simplifying processes. It could be reevaluating budgets so that waste, we're not wasting money, so that we're not wasting time and resource on things that aren't all getting us closer to our end goal. For us as individuals, the same kind of process applies. People in your friend group, people on your social media feed that hamper your progress towards success, people that generate or create negativity in your life. That's excess baggage. Those people are not helping you get to where you want to get to. In fact, they have the opposite effect. And as soon as you start getting negativity in your life, it slows you down. You're not going to start making the steps forward you need when you've got negative thoughts running around your mind. So streamlining the people that you surround yourself with can be a really valuable experience. I've talked on this podcast before how I have been through my own social media feed and just cut the people that I see as not offering me any value. Now that might seem brutal, particularly in the real world amongst friend groups. But if you're striving for success, if you're striving for a goal that you've set yourself, a life that you measure as being a successful one, you need people around you that are going to enable you to get there, that are going to support you and help you to get there. And you have the power and the choice to make that happen. If you look around your friend group today, the people that you socialize with, the people you interact with, colleagues at work, even family members, ask yourself the question, do all of those people offer some value to you? And if they do, then wonderful. If they don't, then ask yourself the question, do they bring negativity into my life? Because those are the people that you need to get rid of. You can explain this to people. You don't have to do it in a cruel and heartless way. But if you explain to somebody that, look, your life is heading in this direction. This is where you want to get to. You've got a desire to get to this place. And you need the people in your life to get on board with that, to help you. If they're friends, of course, that's what they're going to want to do. They will be there for you when you need them. There isn't time or room in the life of somebody who's striving towards something that they believe in, something they believe will bring them success. For people who can't get on board with that, for people who can't understand it and then support you in that process. Emotionally, we can do the same thing. Emotionally, we carry around baggage. I'm sure most of us listening to this podcast do in one way or another. Do we harbour feelings of anger or of jealousy towards somebody for an incident that happened in the past? Resentment, frustration, regret, they're all feelings that we might carry around with us. They're all thoughts that might enter our head every single day, causing distraction from whatever our focus should be. They are excess baggage in exactly the same way that the paint is. And the key to making that process achievable, the key to getting there is first identifying it. It's first analysing yourself in a deep enough way, just like Williams had to do with their Formula One car, looking deeper than you might ever have normally gone before, forensically deep, reanalyzing the same problems you may have looked at in the past and maybe not yet found the solution to those problems. You may still be being held back and not quite understand why. And so you might have to go through a process of detailed analysation of you and what you do, of your behaviours, of the methods and processes that you live your life by. Do the things that you do on a daily basis, the thoughts that you have, the people you surround yourself with, do they all align and do they all serve to get you closer to your end goal? Do they align with your mission statement, your purpose in life, the thing you exist to do? Can these people around you help with that? Can the thoughts running through your mind help with that? And if they can't, are they actually hampering you? Are they actually slowing you down? Are they weighing you down? Because if they are, just like the paint, 
you can get rid of them. You have to focus on that problem, identify the problem, and then start to work through the solutions. Start to work to streamline your life, to shave off that excess weight that might be slowing you down. One example for me was the amount of time I spent on my phone mindlessly scrolling through social media. I have to use social media as a large part of what I do as a career. And I actually really love it. I enjoy it. I see huge value in social media for certain aspects of what I do. But I also see it as a really nice way of communicating and connecting with many of you. I ask you to send me messages, to send me feedback on the things that I do. I want your feedback on this very podcast. I want questions that you'd like me to answer on this podcast sent to me through social media. And I, having asked you to do those things, commit to responding, to reading, to listening, and then responding to, I mean, almost all of you. If I've missed any, it's only an oversight. I try my very best to respond to everybody. I dedicate time in my life to go through those messages and respond. So I don't want to portray social media as a huge negative for me or for everybody. However, there definitely came a point in my life where I was mindlessly scrolling, like we've all done, for way too long. I was wasting time thumb scrolling through TikTok or through Instagram, not really even paying attention, mindlessly just scrolling through, looking at pictures, reading comments. And that wasn't helpful. It wasn't something that helped to serve the purpose that I was trying to get towards, the purpose I was trying to aim for. It wasn't serving my purpose as an individual wasn't serving my career goals. It wasn't serving my life goals. It was wasting time, probably taking time away from me being a father or being a husband, taking time away from me being creative on a social media platform that might actually help me in my career goals, that might help me communicate with people like you, responding to my call to action after listening to a podcast like this. And when I identified the sheer amount of time that I often spent just mindlessly scrolling, I clearly realise, it's very obvious when you say it out loud, that that time spent doing that served me no purpose. That was my excess baggage. That was my excess weight I was carrying around in my life that was actually hampering me getting towards something that I really desired. Because whilst it wasn't something that hurt It wasn't uncomfortable. It wasn't something that was particularly inconvenient. I somehow probably enjoyed many of those moments just scrolling. But was it aligned with my mission statement, with my core values? No, of course it wasn't. And so I got rid of it. So now very rarely do I find myself doing that. And if I ever do slip into a bit of mindless scrolling, I have a trigger mechanism inside my brain now that identifies it quite quickly and stops me from doing it. I still have to mentally take that step. I still have to override the autonomy of just scrolling mindlessly. But I can do it because I know it's not serving the purpose I need it to serve. It can actually be a negative for me. It can hamper me getting towards my goals. And if I'm putting in this huge amount of effort to get towards a certain goal in life, why would I want anything that might slow me down from that? If I'm getting up every morning, going through a workout regime to try and get fit, and that's exactly what I do. I do that with a goal in mind of becoming fitter and healthier. Now, it's hard to get out of bed in the mornings, to drag myself out of bed, sometimes when it's still dark, and go and do my workout. But I've been doing it now for quite a while. I'm proud of the fact that I have committed to that and kept that commitment going. And yet sometimes, on the odd occasion, I would drag myself out of bed, I'd get my kit on, my my trainers, my running shorts or whatever, and then before I went out and did anything, I'd pick my phone up, and I'd find myself mindlessly scrolling. And I thought to myself, if I've put in all this effort, this commitment, if I've dragged myself out of bed, I've gone through the hard bit, to only then start scrolling through social media, why on earth would I want anything that's going to get in the way or lessen the effort that I've already put in 
to achieving these goals. And so I cut it out. Just like Williams have lost the paint, it didn't serve any purpose for them in terms of making that car go more quickly. So they got rid of it. And that is what I would love you all to think about more this week. What is it in your life? What things do you have, do you carry around with you that you don't need? Things that might actually, if you really think about it, might be hampering your progress, might slow you down, might prevent you from getting a little tiny bit closer towards the success that you probably desire. Are you actually aligning yourself and your behaviours with somebody else's values, with the values that society has placed upon you, maybe through things like social media, expectations that you feel a pressure to try and deliver upon? Do those expectations fall in line with you and your values or are they just the values of a society that's a little bit twisted, that's a little bit distorted and certainly not a reality for you? Every few months I sit down with myself, I take some time or I go for a walk and I start to ask myself these kind of questions. It's the same process that a Formula One team goes through on a regular basis as well. Analyzing their performance, analyzing what they do, their processes and systems. Are they the best they can be? Are they still pushing them in the direction of achieving their goals and their targets? Is everything they have on their Formula One car there to serve a purpose of making it a better Formula One car? Or, like the paint, is it there to serve a purpose that might be external? We can all ask ourselves those very same questions. And I bet that some of the answers you get might surprise you. When you look deep enough, there will always be opportunities to streamline your life. And you can go deeper and deeper and deeper, depending how focused you want to be on this end goal of yours. Depending on the target, depending on the circumstances, the competition to achieve your goals, you may need to focus even deeper. You may need to go forensic on this analysis, like Williams have done with the weight of their car. But even if it's just about freeing up some time in your day to do the leisure activities, the activities that you enjoy that will help you to relax, to calm yourself, to refocus for when you go back to work, going for a walk, taking time to listen to a podcast or to meditate or whatever it might be for you. If you feel like you don't have time to do those things, which definitely offer you value, maybe you need to reassess what it is you're currently spending the rest of your time on. Is every minute of your day accounted for with something that adds value? Because almost certainly it won't be. So perhaps you can cut out some of those other things. It might be watching the trash telly. It might be scrolling through Instagram or social media. It might be lying in bed for an extra half hour when you could have got up and done something. It could be all manner of different things for you. But if you delve deep enough, if you ask yourself those questions, and if you have a strong enough desire to get somewhere in your life, you will find the opportunities. You'll find a way to free up capacity to shed some of that excess weight and streamline your life, refocus your life towards the thing that matters to you. And I would love to know what that is. I would love you to let me know what it is you're aiming for and how you think you might better be served in getting towards it. Please do drop me a note. You can send me an email, mark at f1elvis.com. That's M-A-R-C at f1elvis.com. You can drop me social messages anywhere you like. That's at F1 Elvis. Leave me a comment if you're watching this on YouTube. There are lots of ways to get in touch. Please do. I genuinely would love to hear from you on any of these subjects. Okay, moving it on then to the second topic really that I want to cover. This is one from my personal life, but I'm going to relate it, of course, back to Formula One as well. Uh, this week, I wrote a note in my diary that simply said progress. It was on Friday, uh, after Friday's diary entry, I wrote progress underneath. I came home from work on Friday night, having had builders start work on our house again after a delay of nearly six months, five and a half months. We 
are building a house at the moment. We're going through a massive renovation, a huge building project. We've been doing it now for over a year. And of course, in the beginning of that project, you see massive amounts of change. I was coming home from work and walls were being knocked down. There were walls being constructed, holes being dug, footings being poured. All of those big visual changes were happening every single day. It's really exciting going through that phase of a project because things are literally changing before your eyes as you come in and out on a daily basis. And then what happened was we got to a point where there were massive delays while we were waiting for windows and doors and everybody had to stop. There was nothing much more that could be done until those windows and doors went in. So for four, nearly five months, we had nothing happening at the house. And what happens in that period of time is that motivation begins to wane a little bit. You start to become frustrated with the project because there's a huge amount of money gone into it, of course. We've got an end goal in mind. We know what we want this house to end up looking like. And all of this rapid progress happens and then nothing. It stops. You become frustrated. You become demotivated. You look at the place very differently. It became a dusty carcass of a building that was a chain around our necks rather than something that we were desperately looking forward to moving into. We started to find problems with it that we hadn't really noticed before because there was a constant busyness of people on site every day. When there was no one here, we'd wander around, we'd walk around and we'd start to see how much work's still left to do, how much money it's going to cost to get it done, get it finished, get it to the end of the project. These things start to creep in, these elements of negativity creep into an otherwise really positive experience. And then eventually the windows and doors turn up and we think, okay, well, great, we can get back on track again now. But what happened in the first couple of weeks after the windows and doors went in was whilst things were happening, they weren't big visual changes. There were plumbers running pipes behind walls and things. There were electricians putting wiring in stuff that we couldn't really see that wasn't making any major visual change to the building. I'd come home every day and not really notice any difference. My wife Claire would tell me there have been people on site, there have been people working, but I couldn't see any results of that. And so still there wasn't that motivation of seeing the progress happening. And eventually the reason I wrote progress in my diary this week was that this week the builders turned up again. They started digging up floors. There was big visual progress happening. I could come home and I could tangibly see what people have been doing. I could see us getting closer to our goal of this dream house and us eventually moving back into the dream house. The things that the builders were doing, the smashing up floors, taking out huge amounts of rubble outside, filling skips, having those skips taken away, Things were happening again and I came home on Friday night and it was a yes moment. We are back on track. We're moving back towards our goal again. And it got me thinking about how these tiny differences in what was happening had huge differences in how it impacted me mentally, how my motivation changed through the things that I saw happening, not necessarily the things that were happening. Because when the plumbers were here and the electricians were here in the weeks prior to that, stuff was still happening. These things are all still edging us closer to the goal of moving in. It's just that I couldn't see them. They weren't as obvious to me. They were behind the scenes. When the builders came in and started doing the big heavy lifting work, I could see it again. And because I could see it, it totally changed the way I viewed the project. It changed my motivation for the project. It changed the way that I saw the project progressing forward. And I wrote the word progress in my diary as a result. And I think we can use this as a metaphor for life and for business. And certainly in my time in Formula One, I saw this same kind of phenomenon happening again. Sometimes we need to see big visual progress just to tick that box in our mind. Sometimes we need to see something happening to maintain the levels of motivation when times get tough. Because when times get tough, that's when the negative thoughts can start to creep in. And that's when more than ever, we need to see progress being made. 
that's what sparks you on to the next step. If you don't see those visual changes, if you don't see the progress, if you can't appreciate that progress is actually happening, even if it is, but if you can't appreciate that it's happening, it can actually have a negative impact. It can dent your confidence. It can lose motivation. And that can spiral into something that can end up causing you to be further away from your goals and targets very, very quickly. Success in Formula One tends to be cyclic. It tends to be that one team will go on a run like Mercedes have done in the last few years of having sustained success. And then eventually they'll fall away from the top of the table. Williams, perfect example. Williams had huge success for many, many years. And yet in our recent history, they've tumbled down the order to currently the position they're at now, which is right down at the back. McLaren, also massively successful team. I was very fortunate to be there through some of those really successful years. And yet in more recent times, they've gone through a period of drought. They haven't had success. They've had, in fact, some really disastrous results falling all the way down the order. And only in the most recent times, in the last few years, have they started to come out of that cycle and find their way back towards the top. Now, when you're in that negative spiral falling down the order, there's always this saying about how teams need to learn to win again. When a team gets their first victory, they've learned to win. They've learned how to win. The thing that happens is that they see the progress. They see the fact that they've done it. They see some evidence that proves to them they can win. And that is often the biggest difference. This cycle of negativity, this downward spiral that a team faces. Take McLaren, for example, who fell from winning the championship with Lewis Hamilton in 2008, having a couple of years of decent results, but never quite clinching another title, to then tumbling down the order. Going through a period of many years before seeing any signs of success coming back again. What happens is in that team, there's a whole generation of people. We're talking about over a decade here. A generation of people, of employees, of team members at McLaren who had never experienced a race win. They had no evidence to suggest that they might be capable of doing it because they'd never done it. They'd never seen it happen in their time. And only when you start to get those results, do you see the evidence? Do you start to build that picture? Do you gain the confidence? Does it boost your motivation to go on to the next step, to the next level, to push that little bit further? In the same way that the visual progress that I've seen at my house has reinvigorated my passion for this project, my motivation. I can see a time now when we will be back in this house living in it. Whereas before that, I really couldn't. I'd struggle to see that. It seemed like a, an end point that didn't even exist. And if it did exist, it was so far off in the distance, I could not visualize it. But starting to see the big chunks of progress starting to see something that I could grasp onto as evidence that we are moving forward has completely changed the way I look at the project now. For McLaren, they began to make lots of changes behind the scenes. There was actually lots of progress happening over the last five years. People being put in place, systems changing, processes being reevaluated. Lots of stuff was happening but in the beginning, it didn't translate into race results. The team only saw a huge amount of work. They saw negativity being written about them in the press because they hadn't, get, hadn't gotten the results they were after. That can impact every single one of those people because they read those press reports. They see the pundits on TV talking about how disappointing McLaren are, how they used to be so great. But the reality was there was lots of progress being made long before the results came, long before the podiums started coming in, before the car started gaining performance. There was loads of progress happening behind the scenes. It's just that it wasn't there on display publicly. 
Formula One teams are businesses like any other business. And yet, unlike most businesses, certainly in the public eye, their results are not published quarterly or annually. Their results are published every couple of weeks in the most public fashion possible. So everybody can see how well they're doing or otherwise. They can measure their progress because there are definitive numbers attached to them. Lap times, points scored, positions you finish your race in, how quickly your pit stop is. These are measurable data points where people can judge you on from the outside, but also from the inside. But in reality, there's so much more going on that feeds into the productivity, the success of a Formula One team, just like with any business, just like with you and I. We are constantly working towards things. We don't often get the results of those things for some way down the line. Delayed gratification, something that people in the modern day struggle with more and more. If we are striving to get fit, like I was talking earlier, I might, for me personally, I get up early, I put a huge amount of work in, I do a workout every day. I don't see the results of that every day. I don't see any visual progress in the first few weeks or maybe even months of me getting up and putting that hard graft in, that sacrifice of dragging myself out of bed to get the workout done. I don't see any results of that. There's nothing measurable that I will see in the beginning. It will take quite a long period of time before gradually, and it is very gradual, I'll start to see some kind of change happening in terms of my fitness or my physique, whatever it might be. But I've got to wait for it. So how on earth do you keep yourself motivated if you're not seeing results? In a Formula One team, when McLaren were going through their dismal years of really struggling and tumbling down the order, building a generation of team members that may have never, ever experienced having a great result on the racetrack. How do you keep those people motivated? The way you do it is you celebrate the smaller wins. You celebrate those wins happening off track. Inside a Formula One team, when something happens, when you hit a budgetary target, when you hit a scheduling target, when you get the first car built and you get it fired up, ahead of the day you were supposed to, you celebrate it. When you start to find a component on the car that could save you weight, redesigning a component in the drawing office that might make it cheaper to produce, that's a win. You celebrate it. You shout about it. There are wins happening in every company every single day. They may not always be the big ones. They may not be the ones that the company will shout about or publish the results of. For a Formula One team, they may not be something that on their own that will translate into a race win. So the public, the fans, the media, they may not see that win. They may not see that little win that's happened inside the team. But on the inside, if you draw attention to that achievement, if you celebrate that achievement... If you shout about it within the four walls of your organization, if you give people evidence that things are progressing, that you're doing something today better than you were yesterday, if it's one department that's done well, shout about it. Give the rest of the organization something to celebrate, something to cheer for, some sign, some evidence that the company is moving in the, in the right direction. Those little tiny wins can have a significant impact. And if you start celebrating them more often, if you start picking out even the tiniest wins and celebrating it so that your company, your team have things to celebrate every day or every week or every month, get them together to shout about what's been achieved. You start to build an environment of celebration. You start to build an environment where people can appreciate that things are happening that will be getting them closer to their end goals. And even though on a Sunday on the racetrack, they may not be winning races yet, they may not be getting podiums. Just like in the same way that when I drag myself out of bed to go and do a workout, psychologically, I know I'm doing something I'm putting the effort, the work in that's going to get me closer to my goal. I know what I need to do and I'm now doing it. 
If you're a Formula One team, you know, once you've understood your problems, you know what it is you need to do to get back to the top of the podium. And if you're doing it, if you start that process, even though the results might be delayed further down the line, you can celebrate the fact that you're doing it, that you've started that process, that you have ticked the box of understanding. You now know where you've got to get to and you have a plan to get there. That in itself can be celebrated. That can apply to every single business in the world. Every company has goals and targets. Some companies will be hitting them already. Some companies will be hitting and getting the big numbers, celebrating the big wins. But if you're not there yet, if you're trying to turn around a struggling organisation, if you're coming through a difficult period, if you're rebuilding after some kind of difficulty of some kind of challenge after the last two years of the global pandemic if they've hit you hard and you now need to find a way to bring your team back up to speed to motivate them to reinvigorate the passion that might have been there before but that's been hit that's been knocked over the past couple of years start small start looking for the little wins on an individual basis on a team basis on a department level but on a company level as well Celebrate people when they do something well and celebrate it as an organisation so everybody can see that there is progress being made. If I'd come home to my house over the past few weeks and if the plumbers had been there to explain to me exactly what they've been doing, I might have thought differently about the whole thing. If the electricians had run me through all the jobs they've done, shown me the wiring that they've put in and told me what that wiring is going to achieve, what it's there for, what its purpose is, well, I might have been able to appreciate the progress they were making. But I couldn't because when I come home from work, they'd been gone. They'd been long gone and there was nothing really very obvious for me to latch onto to see signs of progress. Yet now the builders have come in and started digging up floors and taking out huge amounts of rubble making huge visual changes to this house, I can see it. I can grasp onto that. My brain immediately attaches itself to those things and associates that with getting closer to my end goal. I can appreciate that things are happening. It's a psychological phenomenon that we can all, once we understand it, once we appreciate it, can all tap into. Because the same thing happens with any of us. If we're writing a dissertation for university, if we're plowing through schoolwork that might seem endless. I'm writing a book right now. That is a huge monumental task that can be so difficult to maintain motivation for when you're in the early phases. But if I set myself little goals along the way, take my eyes off the end goal of writing a book with hundreds of thousands of words in, that's so far in the distance I can't even see it. If I'm only focused on that, I will never feel like I'm ever getting there. But by bringing those goals closer to me, by celebrating the little things that I managed to achieve, just sitting down at my laptop one day and starting to write something is an achievement because that takes motivation. Celebrate it. Give yourself a big pat on the back for doing it. If you drag yourself out of bed in the morning to go for a workout, celebrate it. Use that as a massive win for you and celebrate it. Those things build motivation. They help you come back the next day and drag yourself out of bed to go again. They help you sit down at your laptop and start typing out that dissertation again, making further progress. And before you know it, gradually those small wins begin to add up to something big. They become more and more significant and you gradually find yourselves getting closer and closer to that major target at the end, the big goal. This house is exactly the same. When McLaren started going through that difficult period of time, when the progress was happening, but it wasn't the obvious progress, McLaren had to start celebrating those things internally. From the outside, people didn't know it. People didn't see it. But it started to build confidence within the team that things were moving in the right direction. And gradually, the results began to start changing on the racetrack. The team environment changed. The mood within the camp begins to change. People build confidence. And when you have confidence, you start to do things better than you were when you had no confidence. 
You start to make better decisions. You start to create behaviors and patterns that lead towards success. And that's exactly what happened. That confidence can inspire you to just do something, to take that first leap on a project, to give you that drive that you needed to get out your front door and go and take the first step. Because the first step can be the hardest one. The first step in any project, in the next phase of any project, can be the hardest one. Dragging yourself out of bed in the morning, putting your trainers on, is often the hardest part of doing some exercise or a workout. That first step is the one that you need a little bit of motivation to be able to do. You need a bit of self-confidence. You need some of that evidence that might have come before to just get you over the line and start taking the leap of faith that it might sometimes take to embark on the next phase of your mission. So having the evidence, the confidence, the support there to just get you over the line is one of the biggest things that any individual company or Formula One team can create in its environment to help the people working within that environment to take the next step. We're all motivated by different things and in different ways. That understanding of what motivates you can be a really valuable asset to have, to understand. If you know what it takes just to get you across the line to the next step, you can start to find ways to implement that. You can lean on the support around you and ask them to implement those things for you, to give you those little markers that you need, those little triggers that will help you keep going. The little bits of evidence that you need to help get you over the line. For me, it was big visual progress in this house to reinvigorate my motivation for the project. But I understand now, I realise and I appreciate because I've stopped and thought about it. I just need to know that things are happening. I need to know that the electricians have been here or the plumbers have been here. I don't need to know exactly what they've done. I just need to know that they are here working away towards the end goal of getting this house finished. That's all I need. It's reframing the evidence that you think you need into the evidence that you can actually get your hands on. I thought I needed to see massive change happening in this house. I now realise I don't. I just need to know that something's been happening. That's a reframing process that I've gone through in my mind. And we can all do that kind of thing by stopping and thinking about it. If you've got a massive dissertation ahead of you, Try to reframe your goals from the one that's way down the line at the end of the project to one that's much closer and achievable to you. Simple motivations that help me. Simple processes that help keep me going, keep me inspired, keep me pushing towards the bigger targets that might come further down the line. It's what Formula One teams do, but we can all as individuals go through exactly the same process. Find motivations in everything we're doing. Celebrate the wins, even if they're only tiny ones, just to give us the boost we need to move on to the next step. And then we celebrate that tiny little step and then we move on to the next one. Something else for you all to think about, to question yourselves on. Try and work towards understanding what kind of things motivate you. If you're running a business, what kind of things motivate the people in your business? Do you understand your teams of people? Because they may well be motivated by very different things to you. Gaining an understanding of what ticks people's boxes, what motivates them and keeps them going, keeps them giving you the effort that you need as a business owner to achieve your targets. What is it that they need to keep them going to achieve theirs? Have a think about it. I'd love to know again what you think of this. I'd love to know what your goals and targets are. If you found ways to keep yourself going, whether it's small, little targets, achievable things that you can tick off every day, whatever it is, whatever your methods are, share them. This is a community that I hope we're growing week in, week out here with similar goals to become more successful, more productive, more high performance, a little bit closer to elite level like Formula One teams are. And if any of the stories, the messages that I'm sharing on this podcast are helping you, even in the tiniest way, in achieving those goals, then please do let me know. 
And I'd love it if you could leave a rating and a review in the podcast store, particularly on Apple, if you have the opportunity to do that. But if not, just send me a message. Just share the podcast around. Tell a friend about it. Let's try and grow this community. Anything you can do in that regard, I'll be really appreciative of. Thank you so much, guys, for spending your hour or so with me today. I appreciate it as ever. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. And whatever it is you're doing, don't forget, try this. Do the right things and do the things right. Ta-da.